Welcome back, friends and family, to another episode of the Backdoor Cut Show, a show brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. You can also listen to us on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. We are a Memphis Grizzlies-focused podcast, but also we talk a lot of general NBA and other topics. Uh, I am Zach. You can find me on Twitter at BarnburnerBro. Today, we are going to discuss... John Morant, winner Rookie of the Year, pretty big deal for Memphis fans, as well as the conference semifinals that are all going on right now. And today with me, I have Sam. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good, Zach. At the Barn Chief, you could find me on Twitter. It's not just kind of a big deal. It's the biggest deal to have Rookie of the Year playing here in Memphis, potential superstar. We'll, we'll get into that. Very exciting stuff. Otherwise, the playoffs have been completely unpredictable. Like, Every time that I turn on a game expecting to see one result, I feel like I get the opposite. And there has been no continuity with any team except for the second we think they're going to be consistent, they lose a game that we didn't think they would. Uh, it's just It's been frustrating, I imagine, for a lot of these coaches to figure it out. But, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's kind of the nature of this bubble beast, I feel like. Uh, but, you know, moved into a new house. There's a lot of little house projects going on. I know you're doing more of the same as well. Um, I feel like the, the path of life is – you know, you're you're in your late 20s or 30s and you, you buy a house and then you start doing little projects here and there. Like I hung a porch swing this weekend. And I got to tell you, it was kind of a, a tougher job than I thought it was going to be, um, you know, to find the, right. the stud in which to anchor the porch swing or else like you'll absolutely fall if you try to drill in a drywall, which makes sense. But I have my stud finder is not great. I feel like I can't trust it. And if you can't trust your stud finder, what's the point of that? And so I had to like climb in my attic and like, measure the studs i was literally like in the prone position crawling through my uh, above my porch uh this morning and i uh, finally figured it out which is nice and hung the porch swing and it's too tall so like you you can't sit on it uh, you can but you're like feet are dangling like you're five and you're sitting in a chair it's too big for you you know uh so we have to get a chain extension and that's a whole nother thing because like you can't add links to it um unless you have like the the right tools to like bend chains so you essentially have to buy another section that kind of looks similar and then another S hook, but all S hooks have different weight bearing like levels. And so that's just a whole thing. So let me just say like learned a lot about chain weight and, uh, and mounting port swings this weekend, which I didn't think I would, but that's kind of the nature of the beast these days. And I know you're doing some ki kitchen renos. How's that going? It's going pretty good. Uh, we got, yeah, my wife built a whole new set of cabinets. We painted the ceiling, all the cabinets, put a backsplash in, got some butcher block countertop, got a new sink. So it looks a lot different. But I will tell you, it costs a lot less than those dudes at Home Depot were trying to call or trying to charge. We had someone come and like give an estimate and we were like, Well, we can spend some time and do it for like ten percent of the cost. So Literally? Literally ten yeah, percent? Pretty That's close. crazy. That's like, uh, I would not have expected that markup. Um, yeah. But I mean, it goes to show a lot of people don't want to devote the time for it. A lot of people find pleasure in little house projects and I get it. It's satisfying. And like, to some extent, it's like we did this and it's like uh, you get to do everything and pick exactly what you want instead of maybe having some guys that might cut corners. But that's, uh, you know, it is a lot of time. So if you don't have the time, yeah. but all we got right now is time in quarantine, I feel like. I, uh, I think my favorite part so far is the using the paint spray gun. We got one of those and have been using it. So I think that's probably my favorite tool that we've purchased throughout this project. I never used one of those before. Is it, is it, is, I imagine it's pretty satisfying though. 
Um, it like, uh, cause it's like, it's, it gives you that nice even coat and you're like, yeah. you know, and it's, it's got to feel like cutting the grass, you know, you can tangibly see your progress and results. And that's always very satisfying when you're like, fuck yeah, yeah. man. Like this looks great. That's a great comp. I mm. did, however, underestimate the spray. So my like tape job and covering up there may have gotten some, uh, some paint on the appliances and some other areas that didn't need them, but mm. Next time I know better. It's just paint and it's all learning here. That's what we yeah. do. So we learn and get better the next day. Uh, if I ever have to hang out on the porch swing, I'll do it you a little bit better it. than the last time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if uh, James Harden uh, ever has to play another game seven, potentially he'll be better that next time. Um, but, you know, <laughs> here, here he is in the second in the, the second round uh, coming out of the that OKC Rocket Series. Uh, pound sign segues, by the way. Uh, how did you feel about the end of that? Rocket series. That was pretty gnarly. So I was one of those people who hadn't heard of Lou Dortz until uh, Memphis played them in the bubble right before, uh, right before the playoffs. When Dort came out, he's obviously not known as a shooter, and he came out and drilled like two threes, and we're like, "Oh crap, we don't know who this guy is." It's classic. But he's yeah. He's a so great all this time. Yeah, he's, he's the greatest three point shooter in history. Killer. Yeah, he, he's. He becomes Reggie Miller for like a period of time. Yeah. And then we're all furiously like looking him up on basketball reference. Like who the hell is this guy? And then we not only do we find out he's not a three-point sh shooter, but that he's objectively a very bad shooter. Yeah. That is not his game at all. And in fact, hadn't really even had that much run in the season. Played a lot of G League time. Uh, and everyone that's acting like that knew who he was. Like I've heard a lot of these basketball guys be like, I had him ranked like 32 in the NBA draft. And it's like, I mean, come on, man. Like, maybe you did, but you really didn't think he was going to have this kind of impact. So let's not like revisionist history. Yeah. Uh, oh, I knew he would play these big minutes for the Thunder at this moment. And big minutes he did play. Yeah, he, he did average 22 minutes in 36 games this season, but only like he averaged six points a game on less than 30% shooting from three. So uh, come on, guys. Like don't don't try to make yourself sound like it's that much better than everyone else. We don't need that around here. If you're an OKC fan, I got it. You're gonna know like that'd be like everyone uh, like Conchar having a few big games and then D. Melton. You know maybe maybe D. Melton. Yeah. Like yeah, we we he's kind of a do everything guy. If you look at his numbers, it's not eye popping, but he's kind of like Swiss Army knife on the floor. Yeah, exactly. But like Conchar coming up from the G League, then getting some run actually a pretty decent basketball player would have not hated to see him play a little bit more, be a little, get a little more jitty in there. Uh, mm. But I, Dort was a, he's a fascinating uh, case study. So I'm curious how, you know, he'll be playing next year when they come back around, but really interesting that he got, you know, 30 points in that final game and happened to take the last shot, which is probably not exactly what they wanted, but he was the hot hand. So he, he took the shot hard and got the block. The rest is history, but it's still really fascinating. I think the new, the new like terminology we see these guys like in all the cutaways. There's a LeBron commercial where it like it's him and he says, "We built for this. We built for this, dog." And and then that that's like the the new thing is that I'm built for this. And I think that's supposed to mean that I'm clutch or that I'm ready for the moment or that in the fourth quarter, give me the ball and I'll make sure that we win or insert whatever like. Uh, and, and it turns out, in fact, that as, as Ryan Russillo tweeted, that like no one's actually built for it. Uh, that, that, like everyone says that. But, you know, we, we haven't actually seen that many like 
truly clutch playoff performances. Uh, we saw Chris Paul actually say, you know, we're built for it uh, after he won game six and then started off doing really well in game seven. But then in the, when the fourth quarter came around, he didn't necessarily do much. He, did, he, he uh, didn't take the free throw, um, you know, that technical free throw that Gallinari ended up missing. And then he didn't get the last shot. And, of course, like maybe you argue that the, the Rockets kind of schemed and didn't allow him to get the ball. And then there's a bunch of you know people on Twitter that are saying that the last play was supposed to be for Gallo. And then it ended up going to uh, – so that's why they wanted to get him to shoot the free throw. So that way he was like saw a ball go in right before he had that last shot. Um, but, you know, like I don't think Harden played well. Chris Paul had a couple moments, but I don't know if he played like – so consistently well as to say that he like outplayed Chris Har- or James Harden. And, you know, it was kind of a mess of a series, but fun. Yeah. And that's exactly like a little bit of unpredictability made it a lot more fun. You know, we didn't, the, the thunder coming in, just them being in the playoffs, they definitely exceeded my expectations this year. Thought they would be one of the teams like at the very bottom, you know, after, after all the turnover they had. Uh, but Chris Paul, really good season. SGA really becoming a, excellent player you know that, that that was good that they got in there and that was a fascinating matchup honestly so i appreciated that uh, steven adams affectionately called steve-o makes t- over 20 million dollars a year uh and you know kind of kind of looks like i don't know when he made the turn the corner on being the, the tough badass guy that i remember like you know baiting zebo into punching him and getting you know suspended for game seven um, he used to be this really kind of pesky badass, and now he's just kind of like the chill New Zealand guy that you see like travel Europe for six months. And you know what I mean? Like he just doesn't yeah. have that same tone to him. And he's making so much money in a league that definitely does not value centers. And he can't really do anything. He wasn't rebounding particularly well. He didn't really make the Rockets pay at any point. Uh, he doesn't have any post game. Like it's fascinating uh, how this guy – got that much money. And it might've been in 2016 that he got that paycheck when everyone got paid um, pound sign Chandler Parsons. But like, you know, I, I, uh, I, that's a tough, that's a tough deal. That's a tough contract. I don't really know what the, the Thunder do going forward. They got a ton of picks. I'm sure they're going to blow it up, trade Chris Paul. Um, and if they can, and then kind of go from there, but I, I don't anticipate them being back next year. But then again, we didn't think they're going to be back this year. Right. Um what did you think of the uh, Celtics moving over to the East? What do you think of Celtics Raptors? Oh, now that that's a good series. So I I found myself kind of gravitating towards the Celtics. I know you have been on the Raptors and historically have been a Raptors guy. Last season, I jumped on the bandwagon pretty early on. Uh, I guess whenever Mark went over there, that's probably about. So it's not super early, but I jumped on the bandwagon about then. But another guy that's really catching my eye in this, uh, Jalen Brown. I'm really getting into him in this series. Uh, it's been just fascinating how I think – so a lot has been talked about with uh, Nick Nurse and Budenholzer kind of – they're not obviously not in the same series, but they're coaching the decisions that they're making uh, right now as far as load management for their players. So Giannis throughout the season averaged like 30 minutes a game, which is not very much. That's – about what John Jaron averaged, and, and we think you know the the Bucks were blowing out a lot of teams too. Right, and then, so he didn't. You know, so he wasn't playing out of necessity. It was like they didn't need to have him on the floor. So that to some extent, that that statistic is a little skewed. But now we're seeing that like even if they'd been losing, he's legit, but apparently not, would have limited these minutes. Yeah, yeah, he legit like was was still going to go with that game plan, even though it's in the 
the playoffs. Like this is in theory, what you've been resting for all season is to go hard in the playoffs, but circling back to Nick nurse, uh, former or the, actually the coach of the year this year. So he's really riding his horses. He's got Lowry, Van Vliet, Pascal, OG. Like he is riding those guys 38 minutes plus on all of them. And he's really tightened up that rotation and doing what he's got to do to get the reps, like get them back to where they are. Um, how long that will last, I guess time will tell. Will those guys run out of steam? Will, you know, Boston and their younger guys be able to keep up and make a push in these last few games of the series? TBD, but I think that's really something to keep an eye on uh, with Lowry and Van Fleet, especially getting all these minutes. One guy who's been kind of, kind of weird up and down is Pascal. Some of the, some of his games, he shows up. And some of them, he's just a total dud. Like a lot of people are talking about, is he really ready to be the number one guy on a good playoff team? Now, granted, he's made some incredible leaps over the past few years. And even if he isn't a number one guy on a playoff team, he's still an awesome player. So I don't think that's even a knock on him, honestly. Yeah, I don't think he's ever sort of held himself out as that. Yeah, just because he's gotten much better the last two years, I don't think he's ever been a guy that wants him to be that. I think sure, but we we know the Raptors have won by committee this year. I mean, I don't think any it's a secret that the reason that they are so good is not Pascal Siakam making another leap. Um, It's that it's that they play crazy defensive schemes. They have great coach, and they all play really well and in together. And Fred Van Fleet's been incredible. I mean, he's going to get a max deal. Like the the Knicks are going to max him, or someone's going to max him. And, you know, whether that's that's worth it or not or warranted is a different question, but he's played to justify that level of pay. And, I mean, th- th- this series has been, I think, a, a story of, of momentum. Um, I think that you can point to this series and explain the intangibility of, that is momentum. If OG Ananobi doesn't hit that crazy-ass shot at the end of mm-hmm. game three um, with half a second left, he was built Celtics for it, up dude. too. Yeah, he. Yeah, if anyone's built for it, then OG Ananobi is exactly. He needs to. He needs to have a commercial where he keeps saying that repeatedly. But the you know the it's the Raptors possession. You got Kyle Lowry inbounding the ball, and they have this all these tweets about how Kyle Lowry was able to stand further back because there's no fans there with nachos and beer and shit in his way, so he could like stand back and and actually get a crazier like vantage point and angle to drop that pass on cross court. To over, OG Ananobi in the corner. Over Taco yeah, Fall, a notable yeah. 7'4 guy uh, out of the UCF. Um, shout out American Athletic Conference. And uh, OG Ananobi catches in the pocket. Fantastic fucking pass by Kyle Lowry, which he's gotten props. But that is, I mean, you have to put it right there for him to get that shot off in that amount of time. And then it goes in, and suddenly the Raptors win a game that's only a 2 1 series. They got the momentum. And we saw them win game four, probably purely based on that momentum. We heard the story of Fred Van Fleet going back in the locker room, telling everyone they fucked up now. And, you and you know, that's how they played in game four. So uh, <laughs> you go from a, a sweep to a dogfight in a matter of like literally a half second on a crazy play. And that just goes to show what momentum can do and how like if you're the Heat, you're kind of kicking yourself for not closing out the Bucks tonight. Um, yeah, you, know, kinda, you you could have closed them out. Um, they were reeling from losing Giannis in you know to an ankle sprain, which is has uh, bothered him since Game Three. And you sort of come out a little bit 
a little bit empty in the second half because you know Giannis isn't coming back. And now it's, you know, the the Bucks won a game finally, uh, and they won it purely on Middleton, who sent, who turned into the player that we'd hoped he'd been all playoffs. So he's got some momentum and confidence. And if Giannis can find his way to come back, then you sort of like give the ball to Middleton and and say, hey, do what you did and, and then let Giannis figure it out around you. And then maybe we got ourselves a series. But right. like if you have a chance to close out a team, you do it. Um, and I know like that crazy Raptor shot is like insane, but it really was an open shot for Ananobi. I mean, you know, like oh, yeah. you, 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 it was wide open. And at who, some point, I'm like, why are we even guarding the inbounder? Like you just need to play a five man zone. Like, you know, essentially they have like five free safeties out there to not let that happen. Um, yeah. Cause or like play a box and one on the best shooter on the, who you think's going to get the ball. Something right. Like that. But yeah, the, the guarding the inbounder is, I don't know if it's, it's necessarily the wisest play. Um, and of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. But um, yeah, I mean, it, now you got a dogfight. You got a two-two series. It, it's literally anyone's game. Uh, Jalen Brown had a really bad game four, um, so maybe like he's a little shook. They're young, the Celtics. Um, this is the year too where you you can you know you can get to the finals if you're in the East. Like, there's no one there that's just like so scary. The Bucks, let's face it, are probably not going to advance because no one's ever come back from three zero. Um, so that's just the, the math of it. And even if they take them to a game seven, like, I don't know how many times that's happened. So I, I think the Celtics are definitely kicking themselves. And I think their youth showed up a little bit, probably in game four, when I think they kind of let that momentum swing affect them on the court. Um, do you have anything else to say about the, uh, the Raptor series or the Celtics series or the, you want to go to, you, you want to talk Bucks heat or, I mean, I feel like we, we kind of mentioned it already, but, yeah, we- uh, yeah, I think you you hit everything on the head there with like you got to take advantage. You got Giannis who was having a hot game too in eleven. What he he play, only played eleven minutes and he had already made like eight shots or something. He he came out to play today and he was going to carry his team and then he goes out and you let the the second like the number two guy come out and beat you like that just can't happen. You have to continue to play that team basketball and that intensity. But I understand that it's a challenge to always stay up especially when you have something like that happen and I, maybe i don't know what that says about the team that they couldn't you know put it to their throats and knock them out right there but i mean milwaukee does have you know middleton really earned his stripes he's an all-star so it only makes sense that he'd be able to do that and like on occasion at least even without Giannis. Um, but miami that team has been rolling crowder just Crowder had like five, four, five, three, something like that today. Really, yeah, he's he, he's playing like we wished he'd played in a Grizzlies uniform, right? Like, yeah. uh, and, and he's playing like the guy that was honored from three, despite shooting twenty four or twenty five percent or whatever he shot with us. Like, still people treated him like he was Clay out there um, right. because they remembered he could have these stretches. So it, it's such an interesting thing. I mean, the, the Heat play fucking awesome basketball. Like, he's getting better shots. That's just a fact, and they move the ball so well and like. They really are. I mean, I know we always like want to be myself included, like, oh, they're the next Spurs. But now that I've watched more heat uh, than I ever have, because honestly, I didn't I didn't watch them a lot. I watched the Grizzlies games that we played them. And otherwise, like I'm not tuning into the heat much. Um, Not not intentionally. So it just worked out that way, even though I like them from afar. And I always thought the Raptors are maybe kind of the new Spurs. But man, the heat like moved the ball like that, too. And they make you like play defense for the entire shot clock and always get the best shot. They got like some insane shot makers, uh, and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero is playing like you know he's a thirty year old vet, 
um, just hitting the biggest shots and acting like it's no big deal. I mean, like he, he doesn't even like celebrate like you think a rookie would in that situation. He's just like backpedaling down the court and like next play. Uh, and so, you know, that shout out Tyler Hero. Um, he's a killer. And I know that any team would be lucky to have him. And that's an example of like why I'd kind of like to be in the middle of the round, first round this year to add a guy like that. I mean, imagine him on the Grizz, right? Or any team, but, you know, imagine yeah. just being able to add a piece like that that's an instant contributor. You could do that in the draft. I mean, you just have to hit. Uh, so you got to have the right system for them. You got to be dedicated to develop, developing them. Now, obviously, we have heat culture, so they're known for for that. Guys like other finds like Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson, who have also been really big for them this year. Kendrick Nunn terrible though in the playoffs. Yeah, did you know he had COVID? That's why he like missed some games. No, I don't remember. It like wasn't a big deal, but then I was listening to I think it maybe was Woj or someone else's show, and they they just like dropped that in there. But mm. I, I would have thought that would have been more widely known. But I think that's why he missed some games at the beginning of the bubble and is probably still uh, struggling to get back in the groove of things from that. He's uh yeah he's he's like five points a game shooting fourteen percent from deep, a few yeah, turnovers, um, not getting any run. Seem to have lost Spo's trust, uh, and that and Spo seems like a guy that we probably tough to get that back. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, too, notably, you know, transfers from Illinois with a uh, uh, domestic violence charge. Um, so he he kind of has a, a little bit of a checkered past, and kind of one of those guys where it's like they they bounce around, and like the reason that he went when he did in the draft was because of that past, and you you hope that he turns out to be more like uh, Allen Iverson instead of like Michael Beasley or something. I'm not saying right. like Allen Iverson had any kind of past, but he was like a partier kind of dude, like, you know, like a, a crazy gambler and all that stuff. Um, so you hope that he can manage it. But, you know, that I think like um, Kendrick Nunn's kind of proven, you know, he probably did not belong in that rookie of the year conversation. Uh, and then we'll get to that at, at, towards the end of the show. Um, but the Heat look great, man. I mean, they, they play great basketball. They're fun as hell. Jimmy Butler kind of does whatever it takes. Uh, and then he really is like uh, a guy that can generate free throws whenever he wants and seems to come up big whenever they need him, uh, with the exception of today. However, the play that Mason mentioned in our group text, which is that the play down the stretch when Jimmy went to the rim, I think they were down two, uh, and oh, then he gets yeah. fouled. And um, he, got, he gets fouled and kind of tosses the ball over to Bam, um, probably as an afterthought, kind of think he was probably about to go to the line. But really what happened, was, then the ball just like went out of bounds. They call the ball uh, to the Heat, so they say that it went off um, the Bucks. Uh, but then, because it's under two minutes, they can review the play. They didn't call a foul, but they went to review, and then you could see, like all, everyone, God included, can see that there's a, a clear foul, and they re- actually reverse the play and then give it to the Bucks. So it's like a double whammy, you know. I feel like the oh, basketball yeah. gods were like gifting the ball back to the Heat because they the, the foul was missed. But because now we have this weird review system where we can only review certain elements and not others, uh, we actually see like the worst possible result of this sort of situation. Um, so to me, it's like either you just don't review at all or you like review everything. That's the that's the slippery slope of this uh, of this whole review system and what what makes sense and what doesn't and how you justify things. And if I'm a Heat fan, I'm furious because that was when the game swung. I mean, Jimmy Butler is going up to the line to shoot two free throws to tie the game. That swung all the momentum back towards the Bucks, and I mean, it, it was a 
a tough deal because that was such an obvious foul. I mean, they call so many like they call so many bump fouls on Jimmy going to the rim. They miss one that's like straight up slap on the arm. Oh, like, right? It, it's just it, I know it's hard to be a referee, but like it's got to feel you got to feel stupid going and watching how you like swung the game uh, because of your mistake. And not only that, but I heard that forty four percent of challenges this year have been successful um, in the in the bubble and then also in the playoffs, which means that forty four percent of the time the refs are fucking up. Uh, such that they go back and and watch their mistake and then overturn it. I mean, there has to be clear evidence that they messed up. Uh, so it's like that's pretty bad. You know, that's kind of not what you want in terms of successful challenges. You'd like that to be like the exception, right? Like the serious right. exception, not fifty like percent of the time. Five, ten percent. Yeah, like, like what that. are we even doing if half the time you're wrong? Like that, and that's not. And not only you're wrong, you're like it's not a bang bang charge block. It's 50% of the time you are so wrong that you had to overturn it on video evidence. That's uh that's tough, but maybe this will, maybe it'll hold rest more accountable. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to do that job, but yeah, that was a frustrating I mean, component. The officiating in that series just been tough anyway, especially, I mean, he went a game off of Giannis touch foul. Yeah. On, uh, and put the center, I think Butler to the line to just, have to make a free throw to win the game after a weird foul on the other end with Middleton getting three free throws. So it's, it's, it's been tough to watch. It seems like a lot of games have been, maybe not a lot, but several games have been decided by that when you really don't want to see that. It's no one does. No, I don't really think, I don't think anyone does the NBA, the players, the fans. Like I, I don't even think other refs, I think other refs watching are like, Ooh, like I wouldn't have called that, you know, like yeah. it, it's, it's hard to do that job, but I will say that one thing that I know they've in, they've they've focused on this year is the whole shooter space like to land thing, and that's made yeah. that's made defending the three point line Impo- yeah quite least, do? maybe impossible. It might literally be impossible to effectively defend the three point line, and and combine that with the fact that that teams are shooting a record amount of threes per game, and you have just a recipe for disaster. You know, like it. It's yeah. it's it's unbearable sometimes the amount of free throws that are shot and it incentivizes oh. all these guys that are shooting um, to like kick out their leg, do the thing, sell the play, and so then they're falling. Every single guy that shoots a three, I feel like falls after he shoots it now. And then then if the foul isn't called, which it isn't fifty percent of the time, and fifty percent of the time it is, so it's not even consistently called. Yeah. Uh, then if it isn't called, then the, the guy's like not back on defense. So then you got to five on four break and it's just a whole thing like and then it it just it disrupts the whole game like yeah and it, I, I i don't know why i understand the whole like you need guys to come down so they don't roll their ankle and get hurt but like uh, there's got to be a middle ground i don't know what i don't know how you walk that yeah that, it really sucks and <laughs> i think of one person and they happen to be you know on the call and make some bold statements. Reggie Miller. This oh my God! Said that Reggie said came that in if, hot. <laughs> he said if he was playing in today's NBA, he said he would average forty-five points. I believe. Yeah, he said forty-five. Yeah, he'd probably shoot forty-five free throws. I wouldn't doubt that. The way that he, you know, he's famous for his shooting three leg kick, and so no doubt he would get. He would get. They would run by him and with with the air, probably miss him by six inches, and he'd find a way to do a three sixty and look like so, the Tasmanian Devil or something, and mm. get sent to the line like five or six times per game. That yeah. that would just be like not that would be terrible. It's already like tough enough. Yeah, people landing on people's feet, 
because you know they're seeking that out to some extent, and then it becomes a flagrant, and then you got to look and see you have to review it, see if it's a flagrant one or a common foul or flagrant two. It's like it really does kill the momentum and it drags a lot of these games on. And the, and the NBA has always done a good job at creating a very tight package. It's not college football. You're not on your couch for four and a half hours. You know, like you, you are you are watching a two hour and fifteen minute, you know, kind of very tight. Uh, sporting event, which I feel like moves very briskly. It's very exciting consistently. It's not like baseball where there's these dead moments. You know, it's not like football where there's just so much time like in spent. Like, I, I don't know what takes so long in football, but I mean, I guess the, the play clock is insane in between different plays. It's probably what expands it. Um, but yeah, and, and then we have this kind of slowing everything down. And I, I don't know the solution, uh, but I do know that when you start calling fouls like that, it incentivizes, and their players are logical to do it. Like you're, if those yeah. fouls are being called, then you should be trying to get them uh, in order to help your team win. But I think when you incentivize stuff like that, it just makes everything worse. And I mean, I you know I can't imagine a situation where like we, the Memphis City Police like offered to give everyone that reported people that ran red lights like a hundred bucks or something then like they'd be flooded with people reporting and it, it would just suck, you know, like, and for every extra person they caught running a red light, there'd be like 10 other bullshit reports and trying to figure out what's what would make the system even worse than it was before. So it's like, you got to think about what you're doing when you, you set out to do something. And I guess yeah. they can, they can change focuses from season to season. So we'll see what they do. Um, but another thing that's related to all the, you brought up the amount of like reviews and how it's extended the game. Um, people were talking about how these coaches are so hell bent on saving their players and not playing them so many minutes. And someone was like, wait a minute, like with the reviews and everything that there's like an extra 10 minutes of Probably. timeout time uh, per game. So like if Giannis plays 42 minutes, that really looks more like his 36 uh, in, in terms of like, what's going on in the game and the flow of the game these days. Uh, it was Nick nurse that brought that up and, and cause someone like, brought up, hey, why are you playing your guys as much? And he was like, well, first of all, it's like, oh, wait, it's probably going to win. Um, yeah. And and also the reason that I'm justifying it and like thinking about how maybe it's not going to injure them as much is because suddenly there's like eight minutes of dead ball time that otherwise has never existed. So it just it, 42 minutes in a playoff game isn't isn't what it used to be. So that, that was another like interesting Nick Nurse. Thing, I feel like, yeah, I mean, uh, and it makes sense. Yeah, uh, we, we haven't we haven't brought up Nuggets Clippers, uh, I think partly because I kind of forgot that was happening. And then why well, really that's the whole reason. Like I, that's such a weird series. And, and yet it's one, one, you know, it's not like the Clippers are blowing them out and I just do not care about the Nuggets. And and so if, if you're a Nuggets fan and you're like, you're as big of a Nuggets fan as we are a Grizzlies fan, like convince me to care about the Nuggets right now. Are you telling me to, because I am also yes. in that boat, but yes, I want you to put on, you you got a Nikola Jokic like beer mug. You've got a Jamal Murray uh, blowjob porno, and you're you're you know you're about that life. Um, you go drink IPAs and you go hikes on the weekend, and you sort of care about the Nuggets, but no one really cares about the Nuggets. Uh, but you well, always brag about how you're you're superhuman at sea level. Um, so now you're a Denverite. Now tell me about like tell me about the Nuggets. So first off, you're you're a Grizzlies fan, right? Well, mm. what's better than a passing big man? Mm. You have the best passing big I'm man. I'm familiar with league, those. Nikola Jokic. He, the offense runs through him. Top of uh -huh. the key, everywhere. He's a, he's probably one of the most creative big men passers that we've seen in our generation. We've also got a young guy in Jamal Murray, 
who could pop off for 50 points at any at any point in time. He can go toe-to-toe with the best in the league in scoring. Uh, running out of stuff. Michael Porter Jr. Mm. Broken back. I hear some of you guys over at the barn burner really liked him coming out of college and really wanted to draft him high. So I hear. Uh, he He's not done as well in the playoffs uh, as he did in the bubble, but in the bubble he was really starting to warm up, really getting his – sea legs under him and he's going to be a great part of this team going forward only 21 years old okay we have bowl bowl too he oh yeah a few minutes every the bowl bowl is where you sold so. me yeah um bubble bowl bowl which is a, a triple iterative which is fantastic the the nuggets i think are are kind of like a more exciting grizzlies which kind of makes me a little sad to say because we never had a guy like jamal murray we, we wish we did uh, but I mean, granted, we had two guys. Zebo who kind of was like they don't have a Zebo. Um, I mean, you could probably equate Jokic to Mark in terms of the passing, yeah. and his he doesn't really like to score first, uh, but he can, you know, go for thirty if he has to. Uh, probably a little bit better of a scorer than Mark, but it's just a tough, tough beat to watch those Nuggets play, and. I don't know like what would ever convince me to be a fan of them. Jamal Murray seems like a nice guy and like he was good in post-game interviews and he did have those 50 point games. And I think what makes him the more frustrating is the fact that he's so wishy-washy. Um, he could go for 13 or 50 and that's like pretty damn frustrating. But speaking of frustrating, the Clippers, man, like I keep giving them rope and at some point my rope's going to run out. Like I've got like a finite amount of it. It's like lassoed over here on the side and like it just, it's, it, I keep feeding it to the Clippers. And every now and then they have a crazy good game. So I get to pull a little bit back. I'm like, okay, you guys give me some rope back. That's good. But at some point, I'm going to run out of rope. They have not been able to consistently put together four or five, six games in a row where they're the dominant team they should be with the personnel they have. And I don't know why that's the case. There's probably a million people that have written a million articles about it. Part of it is they can't actually stay healthy. Um, they can't keep all of them on the same court for a sustained amount of time to actually develop any synergy. And then part of it's Paul. Uh, uh, I keep wanting to call him Paul Pierce because, like, uh, it's just like that's just a uh, Paul Pierce has been roasted so much recently. But Paul George, man, like he he has not been the guy that we have expected him to be. Um, and and I feel like that's part of it too. But I mean, what the hell do you expect to happen in this series? Poof. I I don't know. It's kind of like a bloodbath of like mishmash teams. Now I feel like the Clippers will ultimately emerge but in those games you have to have I think you have to have the best player on the floor in most games to win and it could be Kawhi or Paul George but those guys haven't been consistent enough to pull that off honestly like Murray out of everyone on these two rosters he's got the most scoring firepower right now and he can just put put the nuggets on his back you know, the series is at 1-1 right now. Just put the Nuggets on his back a couple games and boom, there's trouble for the Clippers because it's – I don't see Paul George or Kawhi going into that, you know, 40-point, 50-point range, uh, especially not more than once between them maybe. But Murray's shown that he can kind of – granted, he hasn't maybe faced a level of defender that the Clippers have with Leonard and George both being able to guard him, but – I mean, you'd expect the Clippers to be able to separate themselves. If if they are the team that everyone's been expecting to be in the finals or in the conference finals since, you know, day one, you expect more of them. Sure, they blew out the 
Nuggets in the first game, but then lost by nine in the second. Like you, I think you've made a good point that they haven't consistently played up to their expectations. Now, I don't know if they're just kind of sitting back and it's hard for them to get up for these games because they do expect themselves to win and everyone else does, but I don't know. I haven't got the warm and fuzzy about the Clippers in this series or the playoffs in general. And and the regular season too. I mean, and they're just so talented that at some point you just expect them to put it together. But at some point past performances like exhibits future results, you know, and it's just like we have occasional games to hang our hat on, but you know, us and the Clipper hive, we can't really like, we don't have anything to any firewood to throw on the fire really. So it's a wildly frustrating series to really predict or care about. Um, Because I'm really just wanting to get to the Battle of L.A., uh, which I think is like most people's Western Conference Finals. Uh, But that leads us into uh, Rockets, Lakers. Rockets come out hot, win game one. It totally enforced their will on LeBron's Lakers. Uh, And then right now they're actually climbed back into the game. It's uh, six minutes left in the third quarter of the game and uh, 77-74 Lakers. Uh, So the Rockets are within three. They were kind of getting blown out at the beginning of the game and that just goes to show the three-point line is a great equalizer and no one's ever out of a game, especially when you shoot as many as the Rockets do. Um, thoughts on that series? I I like I, – I found myself rooting for the Rockets because those guys play really hard. Uh, and they're kind of like a weird, like, a misfit toy situation where you have a bunch of guys that, like, didn't make it on other teams and make it there. And because it's such a simple system, they do well. I've always liked Harden. Um, Russ, I've always liked his passion, even though he can win or lose you a game. Uh, and then PJ Tucker's really like he's just a dog, as as Verno would say. That's been very fun to watch uh, the Rockets play, and it's kind of interesting to see if this if this style could win. And I'm rooting for D'Antoni too. I think he's a good coach and a likable guy. Um, but a lot of people are Rockets haters. How do you feel about the Lakers Rocket series? Yeah, I think that I fall more into the like interested slash hater category. If that's a new one, I probably created that Rockets are so firmly in their brand that. And they've never been able to push far enough. Kind of reminds me of, so they're obviously very analytics-based and like Moneyball. So the A's being very analytics-based and making all their decisions based on that. And regular season, you know, when you have a ton of games, then the averages always play out or always play out in your favor if you've got everything lined up. But when you get to the playoffs, the argument is that everything's a little bit different. And I think that might be the case because – Coaches have a lot more time to game plan, whereas you know during the season there you got three, four games in a week. It's hard to have the personnel to really study up on your opponent, get that information to your your players, your team, uh, and and execute on kind of. You spend more time probably game planning how to execute your game as opposed to how to take the opponent out of the game. Uh, and all that to be said that I struggled. To, to like see if Houston's going to be able to pull this off long term and you know really make a playoff push, get to the finals, and especially having to go through a couple of LA teams potentially because yeah they're going to have their crazy nights. So you, Harden will have his 40, 50 points in a seven game series. That's probably going to happen at least twice. So you're going to get those two, but he'll probably go cold twice. So then it evens up. What do they do in those other games? Where does that scoring come from? Is Russ going to step up in that situation? Or is, you know, someone like LeBron or Anthony Davis going to overshadow them? Uh, Now, 
I think that's kind of what we'll end up seeing. That's been the surprising thing, though, is that the games that, for example, game seven, Harden has a terrible offensive game. He's like 17 points. He's like four of 18, you know, pretty, pretty bad by all accounts. And they managed to win that game. This team has found a way to win when Harden hasn't performed to the crazy scoring levels that we've seen him do in the past. And I think that's a testament to them finally fully buying in to the, you know, they sold the cars, the house, and they got bought a Volkswagen van and they're traveling the country in small ball, man. Like they, they like, they sold the farm and they're betting on it. They traded Capella. They've never fully done it. So I think you kind of like throw out all those different past rocket series and as, you know, kind of 80% into the small ball which if you're not 100% into it, you're never, you were destined to, to fail. Uh, so that's kind of what Maury is expecting. And the, the comparison to A's is apt. You know, they're fully buying in. We'll see what happens. Uh, however, Daryl Maury is not Brad Pitt in terms of handsomeness. He's a kind of a pudgy uh, white guy. Um, <laughs> shout out Daryl. Hope you're not listening. Uh, big fan. So the it, it, we'll see what happens in the series but i, I think what we, what, what we can expect is that we don't know what's going to happen as, as we've seen with every single one of these series uh but we'll be watching it with with great interest and see where it goes um let's talk about uh let's talk about rookie of the year it's an exciting topic here in memphis uh, our own demetrius jamel morant uh was awarded the rookie of the year trophy uh the second in grizzlies history after pal gasol was awarded the trophy in 01 02. Um, so not a lot of rookie of the years in the franchise. And that's also not very surprising based on our draft history. Um, so that, that was really cool to see. Jod did a special on with the TNT guys, uh, the Ernie and Shaq and Kenny and uh, Charles and, you know, really got a chance to see the Morant household, which by the way, what a fucking situation he's got out there in Collierville, wherever he lives. Uh, a lot of land, a giant pool, a, a, a concrete basketball court which i know he had poured after they moved in um and he's got a really good family unit there and it was exciting to see him win that and i think kind of like hopefully portends what we can expect from him in the future because most rookie of the years turn out to be if not superstars multiple time all-stars uh what were your immediate thoughts when you saw our boy ja take home the gold I mean we've been expecting it for a while i've been i've been definitely waiting as they've trickled out you know, defensive player of the year, coach of the year, uh, rookie of the year, finally got here. It seemed like it took forever just because I wanted to see, like, who was going to be weird enough to not put Jaw first on their ballot. Mm. Sure enough, there was. So there's 100 voters. Ninety Morant got 99 first place votes. None got zero. And Zion got one, which – Morant and uh, someone asked him, you know, how do you feel? And he's like, please tell me who voted against me, voted for Zion on that one. Because I would love to send them a DM and tell them that I'm going to use that for motivation, which is like, sounds like an MJ thing or Jimmy Butler where they're like, just thrive off that. Uh, but Morant, like total points, he ran away with it. Kendrick Nunn actually got second in overall points because he got 56 second place votes compared to Zion's 37. Uh, but coming in fourth, we got to give props to Brandon Clark, who got six second place votes and 32 third place votes. Uh, a pretty distant fourth, but still top five. I think that you could have argued he could have been two or three, but still 
pretty legit to have two of the top four rookies on your squad. Like that is a really good feeling. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's testament to drafting the whole, like, I mean, the guy that picked or girl that picked Zion number one, um, there, there, someone also picked, uh, uh, brain fart, the, uh, the RJ Barrett, the, the Knicks rookie yeah, um, with the number with, with the third pick. Um, and uh, a lot of people think that that ballot was just put picks one, two, three in the draft. Uh, I, I, I don't know, honestly, like if you don't fill out your, let's, let's assume you don't fill out your ballot, like you forget or something, or like, let's assume this person had like a, some sort of crazy personal emergency and I don't know, like just didn't get around to it or I don't know, some shit happens. And maybe the ballot defaults to that. Like if it's like, if nothing's filled in, I can't imagine that it would, but I also can't imagine doing that. If you have, if you actually you just Google, what? man. Just Google. That's what we fucking do. We're podcast guys. All we do is Google shit and say what everyone else is saying. You know, to some extent, like if you're picking Kent or RJ Barrett at number three, that's just that's just wrong. Like the yeah. Zion things, like that comes down to whether you think he played enough games. And there's multiple schools of thought on that, you know. And some people think that like his performance in the 19 was so good that he deserves second place votes. Sure, whatever. Uh, and some people are like, no way. I'm not even putting him in my ballot. And that's how you get Brandon Clark kind of sneaking up there. Uh, but you know, like it, it, it didn't, it didn't make me mad as much as it did. Like, what does this person have a vote for? If that's what's going to happen? How are they getting, like, how are they getting yeah. paid to watch and write about basketball? Like, yeah. That's just kind of, kind of disgraceful. Like what, of course we will get to find out who they are. That's the best part. Right. Cause Ra- Rachel Nichols tweeted that once all the, uh, all the announcements of the awards come out. We'll get to find out who that is, which is going to be exciting. And she, the disclaimer was it was not her. So she's got that covered. <laughs> we appreciate yeah. that much. And I mean, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll like, we, we know that Memphis fans, you know, if faced with the Twitter handle, will absolutely destroy oh, this, yeah. this person. Uh, and, and it'll all come from a place of like that, that we have is like small market energy and excitement that we have this guy on our team, but realistically this person deserves it. I mean, I think they probably deserve more criticism just for being a bad at their job, not as much like who they voted for. Uh, but that, that's such a clear mistake when you're the 1% that, that di- didn't do what everyone else did. You're not just, you're not defying like, and having some sort of platform. You're just like, you're just an idiot. And uh, that, that's going to suck uh, when that comes out. If I were that person, I would have already admitted to it and gotten out in front of it. I would have for sure been like made roasted myself or done something. Uh, and that, you know, maybe, maybe they're a small time and we just haven't seen that tweet yet, but I have to imagine it would have gotten retweeted and shared out there if that person came out and said it, but not, I'm not envious of that, of that voter uh, who, who surely knows that, that there's a whole city coming for him. Uh, oh, or at least yeah. coming coming for his mentions for uh, a long period of time, and you know, after every single good jaw game, some <laughs> asshole is going to tweet him. So he's going to get tweeted for the next however long Jaw's career is, which you hope is twenty years. You know, uh, but you know that's that's a that's that's going to be a tough hang for the, for that person. It's going to be tenfold the ba- Twitter backlash of a Gary Parish pull attack. That's what it's going to be. Oh yeah, and you know th- those people can't come back from a Gary Parish full attack. Yeah, you know, those people are left for dead, and um, you know Gary's always right himself. 
So, uh, you know, when someone's wrong, it's just particularly bad. So that's why he's given the power, the superiority power to call them out. Uh, <laughs> Gary Parrish is the hero we need right now, uh, but not the one we asked for. Let me be clear. I live in Olive Branch, and I talk about Memphis as if it's my home. But really, I'm from Mississippi. Uh, anyway. <sighs> it was cool to see that, though. I mean, you get hype. You're like, my our city's got this guy. Like, he's getting love from everyone. Like, celebrities are straight up tweeting him. He's got, like, a legit social media presence. Uh, he's nearly got a million, a million Twitter followers. And he gets, like, tens of thousands of retweets on his tweets. And he's got... You know, he, he is, we, you know, we heard LeBron say it like Memphis got one and it's true. We did. I, he's the first guy that is a legitimate chance that he's like legitimate superstar in terms of commercials yeah. and notoriety and like getting us on TNT and also, you know, lifting us to the heights. Maybe we've never been before, uh, which is what makes it particularly exciting. What makes building the team out also exciting. It's kind of like a sandbox you're in right now um, where it's hard to make, I mean, if Chris Wallace was in charge, he'd find a way to make mistakes still. Uh, but it, it would be hard to make mistakes to be bad. Um, and I, I say all this knocking on wood within, you know, hoping everyone stays healthy, obviously, but you can't ever predict that. You just can't like that's right. it, it, trying to predict that's impossible. There's people that never get hurt and you're like, how'd that happen? And then people that seem like they'd never get hurt and they're chronically injured. It just makes no sense. So we'll see, but it's uh, great to have one here in Memphis. Um, and, like he, he carries himself already like a guy that'll probably be an all-star in year two. Uh, what, what would be your prediction for year two job? Which is kind of a weird deal, right? Because we got kind of year 1.5 job in this bubble in which he upped his assist to 10 assists per game and upped his points a few, um, didn't shoot as well. Uh, and, you know, like I, I, I don't, I don't think made a leap that we'd want to see in year two necessarily, but right. This is going to be kind of a weird deal where year two isn't a classic year two. Really, year two should be starting, you know, in a month. Uh, right. But but it's Crazy it's not. You know, it won't start for six months probably. Um, so it's like this weird kind of delayed situation. And he'll be – he will turn 22 during year two um, instead of like year one being over before he even turned 21. It's like this weird kind of delayed deal. So yeah. what would be your expectation, uh, Zach, for Ja? As far as like production per game and that kind of thing, everything. I mean, and, you know, I'm sure you thought about it. Yeah. So he averaged almost 18 points. I'd like to see, over 20 would I think be an improvement. He's already putting up seven assists, so it's honestly hard to improve too much on that. Maybe that's who you put around more. him, right? I mean, if, yeah. if we had, if we had guys that could knock down shots, he would average 10 this year. Yeah, it would, because he would have someone to actually pack. Say if we had more of the Grayson Allen action, like the bubble, then I mean, Jaw's going to get one or two assists just straight up off that guy who can just shoot threes when after Jaw drives in and everyone collapses on him. But the the area that I expect him to improve on the most, especially after the bubble, after his hand gets healed up, is in three point shooting. I think that right there is going to be the key and kind of the the gate for how good of a player he can actually be because if he's not able to shoot the three, then that takes so much off the defense. They can very easily game plan for him. Not easily because he's still athletic and he'll get to the hoop somehow, but that's probably several attempts per game that he's not going to be able to just make his way into the lane. Uh, you even see like 
um, Milwaukee or no Miami building their wall to keep Giannis out. And obviously jaw is a lot smaller. So I, in a playoff series that could really handicap Memphis. If jaw hasn't developed that three point game, just by four or five points, he shot 34% this year, which is, you know, fairly respectable, but if he can bump that up four or five points and that's going to open up so much for him and just so much for the entire team in general. So that's the area that I think I'm looking for him to improve the most. Another impressive thing he did this year was his clutch scoring or his fourth quarter scoring. He willed us to multiple games this year. Uh, I think back early in the season to uh, Charlotte game where he goes in, plays great in the fourth quarter. We got Brooklyn game, makes a huge block on Kyrie. You know, multiple times he did that. I would look for him to continue to be that clutch guy uh, that we know that we can go to uh, and, you know, take us home in those situations. Yeah, echoing all that too. I I think I can't expect him to make a shooting leap as much as I want him to probably in this year. Um, I definitely want him to shoot it more consistently with the regular season and not this bubble experience. Um, and, and of course, we saw an injured hands, so maybe that was part of it. Uh, I think the tangible way that he's going to get to scoring more is more free throws per game, uh, right? Mm-hmm. In, this season, he shot 4.6. He attempted 4.6 free throws a game. I'd like to see him get around eight or nine, kind of double those um, per game. I think that immediately opens things up. It gets other teams in the bonus quicker. It just helps the team win and score in situations where our offense can get stagnant. To me, there's no reason he shouldn't be able to generate free throws automatically when he, when he wants to. Uh, and he's quick enough. We, we, the whole thing about guys going under screens, Draymond, who's been great on TNT shout out Draymond, by the way, pointed out in that, uh, the play in game, I thought he was like, or he was tweeting during it. And he said, all these guys going under the screens are just allowing jaw to get downhill and right past you. Um, because you're, you cre- you're allowing him to create space and he's not going to use it to shoot. He's going to use it to drive past you. He's still in the stage where he can do that because he's so athletic and fast. Uh, so with that, he gets past you and then he should get fouled. And I think as he gets more popular, he'll start getting the superstar calls. Uh, but Jason Tatum, that's the big leap he made is he doubled his free throw attempts. And once you start seeing the free throws go down, everything starts going down. You start scoring more across the floor as well. Uh, so that would, to me, be the more realistic jump if I'm Ja is to double that free throw amount. But it's exciting times, man. Uh, you got anything else on the NBA or Memphis or, you know, kitchen renovation? No, I can definitely not offer any tips on kitchen renovation. I'm definitely uh, – my, my wife's the planner and uh, the foreman for that project, but I can mm. I can wield a paint gun, a mean paint gun. <laughs> That's good to hear. That'll be a, a skill that follows you for the rest of your life. Uh, if I ever need a paint gun, I'll call you. So that's, that's good need, stuff. if I need a porch swing. Yeah, I don't have I'm your one, guy. So I'm going to crawl around in your attic, up. though. Uh, so you might, I might like, you might forget I'm up there and then like you pull it down the next day and I've like cr- crawled down like a vampire and hiss at you, but that's a whole, yeah, that could happen. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever. So you can find us at the hyphen barn burner, uh, the website where we write articles and you know, host a lot of our podcasts. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts at the barn burner podcast network. And then of course, if you're listening to us on dash radio, shout out dash radio, shout out nothing but net channel. Um, check us all out and we're excited to be a part of the program. Till next time. See you later.